When I was a young believer, when I was a young believer, I was told consistently that I needed to have a daily quiet time. Quiet time. Shh. Shh. Quiet time. And during that quiet time, I needed to read my Bible. I needed to pray and I needed to, if I really put on my big boy pants, reflect and journal about my life by myself alone. For the past several decades, pastors and church leaders and Christian conferences have told folks, get up early in the morning and read your Bible by yourself. Pray by yourself. And if you've got the chutzpah, reflect and journal and have profound realizations about your life and where God is at work in the world around you by yourself. <laughs> and if you do this regularly, you'll become a mature believer. And I'm here to tell you that that just ain't so. That just ain't so. You don't become mature by yourself. Uh, that's not how any of us become mature human beings, and it's not how any of us grow in the faith. So when you hear or read in the book of Ephesians that you should put on the armor of God, you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I should do that, Josh. I should put on the armor of God this morning. Where did I set that armor of God? <laughs> Honey, I cannot, you know, it's, and so you try to do that by yourself, okay? Um, is it any wonder that so many American believers get entangled into sin, struggle, and fall away? From 1980 to 19... Uh, uh, from 1980 to 2001, the United States Army had a slogan, a recruiting slogan, Be All That You Can Be. It was actually a song, Bethany. Be all that you can be in the army. And then in 2001, when the Twin Towers fell, they developed a new slogan, an army of one. They had that slogan for just five years because veterans were not having it. Because they were like, what do you mean army of one? What are you talking about? We're a unit. We're a team. It's an army. <laughs> Army's more than one. And so the army finally had to relent. And they went through and struggled through all different kinds of slogans till they announced this year, guess what? <laughs> guess what? In the army, you can be all that you can be. Okay. We in the church could take a lesson from the United States Army. Namely, it's, there's no such thing as an army of one. Okay, now Ephesians chapter 6, put on the armor of God, is one of the most famous passages in the New Testament. Some of you have the whole section memorized. Uh, you can buy these verses and have them put on bracelets, necklaces, jewelry, wall hangings. If you go to christianbook.com, you can buy a complete set of toy armor for your toddler kids, okay? Don't believe me? Go there later today. It's a big deal, okay? Ephesians 6 is a big deal, and we miss the whole point of Ephesians 6 for two reasons. As Americans, we have this tendency to no longer believe in the devil or evil powers anymore, and secondly, we read this passage like we read the rest of the New Testament. Oh, that's right. I need to put on the armor of God. I should do that. Why aren't I more motivated? Oh. <laughs> okay. So if I have a big idea today, it's real simple. Armoring up is an all y'all thing. 
Armoring up is an all y'all thing. In fact, the word you in Ephesians 6 is that same plural you that we run across throughout the rest of the New Testament. All y'all put on the armor of God. Okay, so we're going to work through this together, this passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. So over the past several weeks, I've been subjugating you to teaching from Ephesians, and today that concludes, okay? So we're skipping all of chapter 5, and we're moving on to new things, okay, for Easter and beyond. Uh, but I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And by way of reminder, for those of you just hopping in today, at the heart of Paul's letter to Ephesians is this idea right here, an apocalypto. So Paul was, was on his way to Damascus to arrest followers of the way because he was convinced that Jesus was this two-bit rabbi leading people astray from the one true God. And on the way to Damascus, he had an apocalypto. An apocalypse. He saw Jesus for who Jesus really is, the King of kings, Lord of lords, the Messiah. And so then he was like, oh my goodness, this changes everything. And so that's at the heart of this letter. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. I'm going to read it uh, in its entirety, and then we're going to go through it a few verses at a time, okay, and see what God might say to us today. So Ephesians 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 10. A final word... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. C.S. Lewis, in the opening to his seminal work, The Screwtape Letters, basically says this. He says, Westerners, that's Europeans and Americans and Canadians, Westerners prefer to ignore or pretend that spiritual beings who are evil don't exist. It's something to laugh about. Ha ha, I went as a devil this Halloween. Ha ha, I got my horns in my red suit. We go to movies thriller, scary movies to scare us, but ha-ha, none of it's real. And so Westerners have this tendency to dismiss evil spiritual beings. And C.S. Lewis says, nearly what, 50, 60 years ago, we're wrong to do so. We're wrong to do so. So in these first few chapters, in the first few verses here of chapter 6, verses 10 and 13 that we're going to look at today, Paul's talking about 
principalities and powers, okay? Evil rulers and authorities, mighty powers in this dark world. And I've already taught on this several weeks ago, so I'm not going to unpack it too much. But I want to say this. Um, we wish the, the strength, be strong in the Lord, that's not inner fortitude. We receive strength from God, okay? And then Paul says, put on all of God's armor, put on all of God's armor. That word put on is like a piece of clothing. And there's a Greek word here used, panoply, okay? Eudosithate um, is put on, but we put on this panoply of God. And I'm going to unpack that in a little bit. But put on is a phrase that's used several times. And it's found in Romans 13, where Paul says, put on the armor of light. And then a few a sent, about a sentence later, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And earlier in Ephesians, he says, put on the new self. So what is this thing we're putting on? What are we putting on? We're putting on God. We're clothing ourselves with God. We're putting on God and God's power, God's strength, God's armor. And we're going to see that real clearly in a few minutes when we unpack this, okay? So, it's, it's the same word that Paul uses, this put on for all of these different things. And again, our enemy is not other people. If I go back to this verse, okay, um, I think I can go back. Will you take me back one verse, oh, sound and tech? So if I go back one verse, um, be strong in the Lord, put on, blah, blah, blah. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We, in, we who are in Christ Jesus, we have enemies, but our enemies are not other people. They're not. Now, America likes to make a big deal of that, and America likes to make the enemy other people, but I know many of us in this room are Americans, but we're Christians first. We're Christians in Christ Jesus, first and foremost. And for those of us in Christ Jesus, our enemy is not other people. It's the spiritual beings in the spiritual realm, okay? Uh, and so Paul talks about putting on this panoply uh, that will help us as we stand against our spiritual enemy. And panoply has to do with defensive armor and defensive weapons. So sometimes pastors will preach on this passage and they'll say, well, it's, it's armor, so it's primarily defensive. And then other pastors will say, no, you're like, we stormed the gates of hell. It's offensive. We're using the armor to take the world for God. It's both. <laughs> it's both. It's not one or the other. It's both, okay? It's both defensive armor and offensive weaponry. And again, our enemy is these unseen spiritual beings, okay? So then Paul says, stand your ground. And he tells us to put on all of this stuff, this panoply, and I like that word better than armor because armor, to me, signifies just defensive things. But the sword and prayer are offensive weapons, if you read what Paul is saying in this passage, okay? So it's defensive stuff and offensive stuff. Now, many pastors will like to take this and draw you a picture of a Roman soldier with Roman armor. But this is Paul. And Paul was a Jew for a very long time. In fact, he never stopped being a Jew. He just became a Jew that was like, oh, Jesus is the Messiah, <laughs> okay? And so for Paul, all of this language is actually borrowed from Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. So in Isaiah, uh, 
I, in, in, in Isaiah chapter 59, that section of the prophet, he's writing, a, it's a lament. They're, it, they're in exile. They've already been defeated. And God looks down from heaven. Where else have we heard looks down? Genesis, okay? God looks down from heaven, and he doesn't see human beings. Uh, there's, a, there's a verse in, in Isaiah 59. The Lord looked down and was displeased to find there was no justice. That's what my translation says. But in Hebrew, it's the Lord looked down and saw no one. He saw no humans. There were no humans. They were not acting humanly toward each other because they weren't following God's ways. They were enacting violence on one another, exploiting one another, killing each other, lying to one another. They were dehumanizing one another. The Lord looked down and saw sin. That's Isaiah 59 verse 12. Our sins are piled up before God and testify against us. Yes, we know what sinners we are. The, the Jews acknowledge. And so God looks down and sees this mess, and instead of flooding the world, and instead of killing everyone, God comes himself, and that's in the form of this mighty warrior. And that's Isaiah chapter 59, verses 15 and following. Uh, the Lord looked down and was displeased to find there was no one. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So the Lord himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm, and his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as his body armor, and he placed the helmet of salvation on his head. Does this sound familiar? He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. He will repay his enemies for their evil deeds. His fury will fall on his foes. He'll pay them back even to the ends of the earth. In the west, people res will respect the name of the Lord. In the east, they will glorify him. For he will come like a raging flood tide driven by the breath of the Lord. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them. So this is pointing to who? Say it again. You know the answer to this one. This is pointing to whom? Jesus, that's exactly right. Jesus fulfills this scripture, okay? So in putting on this armor of God and putting on God, we're able to stand against the attacks of these evil spiritual beings. Um, and so I want to kind of unpack this a little bit. So here are these, uh, these armors, okay? And you've got what have you got here? You've got the belt of truth, the breastplate, blah, 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 I can't even say it, the breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Those are defensive spiritual weapons. But the sword of the spirit and praying in the spirit are offensive spiritual weapons. And they help us to stand against these evil spiritual beings. And so I, I want to bring into you, for those of you that grew up Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian or Baptist like me, and this is all new to you, and you're a little wigged out about what your pastor is saying today, I want to pull back the curtain to what Scripture has to say in a larger sense about these spiritual beings, right? These spiritual beings can interject images or thoughts into our minds. Not every thought you have is your thought. 
these spiritual beings can exploit a sinful tendency. So you have this natural tendency toward anger and you can be a hothead and that they will exploit that and make that worse. Um, these spiritual beings can inspire others to create a teaching that sounds plausible but is wrong. And notice the scriptures I'm listing here. Matthew, Luke, Ephesians, 2 Corinthians, Job, Acts, Psalms, okay? Uh, by the way, this is YouTube. <laughs> you can find a lot of stuff that sounds plausible but is wrong on YouTube. Trust me, it's there, okay? Afflicting us with physical illness. Sending a horrible dream or demonic manifestation during the night that produces fear. Enticing us to lie. And instigating a series of natural calamities. These are all things that these spiritual beings are capable of according to Scripture, okay? And their attacks are designed to create fear, hopelessness, depression, and a heart that turns hard toward God, which is why we should put on God's armor so that we can stand, okay? And then Paul talks about prayer, and this is actually connected to God's panoply, God's armor. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Uh, Paul uses a phrase that's only used once in the New Testament, with all perseverance. In other words, it means relentlessly pursue this, praying in the Spirit. So for you, fellow Americans, I want to say this. Prayer is not just for praying for sick people. Prayer is not just praying for our sick friends. Prayer is how we fulfill the mission of the church and fill the world with the gospel. Um, D.L. Moody would famously talk about the thousands of people in the sanctuary that God had gathered to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. And he would say, really, the success of those efforts were tied to the 20 to 200 people in the basement beneath that were praying. He understood the connection. Because, again, our battle is a spiritual battle in the spiritual realm. Okay? And then Paul asks specifically that they would pray for him. Uh, I take note of the fact that the scriptures in Paul's letter, uh, he mentions this accusation that would get lobbed at him. You're so forceful in your letters, but when you come here, it's like you're a wimp. You're so weak, Paul. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, I came to you in weakness. I think he's struggling with fear. He's in prison in Rome as he writes this letter, and he knows what he's going to face. And he says, pray for me that I would be bold. It's the same prayer we see in Acts. They prayed for boldness to share the gospel, to name the gospel, to announce that God is rescuing humanity through Jesus Christ. And he wants them to pray for him that he will be bold and be an effective ambassador, okay? So our enemies are not flesh and blood enemies. Our enemies are not other people. And there are spiritual beings out there that do want to derail you in your faith, right? So we should stand firm. So I want to ask some questions and then draw practical applications for this. The first question is simply this. On a scale of one to five, five being the United States Air Force with air dominance and air superiority, one being the uh, Iraqi Air Force under Saddam Hussein, <laughs> what number would you give your spiritual readiness right now? <laughs> a one, two, three, four, or five, okay? Where are you with battle readiness? And then number two, to what degree have you been trying to do faith or follow Jesus by yourself, and in isolation. And how's that working? And then lastly, 
what would it take for you to feel comfortable going into battle with this sword? The Word of God is a sword. It's truth. It cuts through things. It reveals things, right? And so the more that we know this and we have this in us and we can recite it by memory and we know what God is saying through it, the more we can lean into truth, walk into the truth, and the truth does what? It sets you free, which is why you would want to have that. Okay, so how can we take this home? What would this look like? Well, first and foremost, I have to say to you and to remind myself, because I'm an American too, spiritual beings are real. My Pentecostal friends that, that teach and preach about this regularly are not wrong when they say spiritual beings are real. So just as there are human beings, there are spiritual beings. And some of these spiritual beings have actively rebelled against God and His rule. They want to determine what's right and wrong. They want to be God of the universe, right? And so uh, they work in the world to divide and corrupt, okay? Now, because you're an American, you tend to believe that the devil and demons are just something to laugh at or get scared at in the movies because, ha, 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 they're not real. If you believe that, I want to suggest to you today that you're mistaken. You're mistaken, okay? Spiritual beings are real. Secondly, don't play with fire. This is going to sound weird for some of you for me to say this, but I'm just going to name it. Paul talks about flaming arrows of the evil one, okay? And if spiritual beings are real, it means things like Ouija boards and seances and palm readings and horoscopes and Wiccan incantations and spells and things like those things may just be physical cards and candles and may also be connected to spiritual beings. So why would you open yourself up to that? Get rid of those things. Throw them away. Throw them in the trash. Uh, in Acts chapter 19, uh, we have a, a, an account of right out of Ephesus. Uh, the story of what happened spread quickly through all of Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who, who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. In other words, part of what the Ephesians were doing is what anybody in Ephesus at the city was doing. Whatever works, use it. And they had these incantations to cure illnesses. They had all of these different things that they would do. And oftentimes it worked. So if it works, do it. And they got convicted and they burned all their stuff, right? So I want to suggest to you, don't play with fire. Don't play with fire. Um, the Bible tells us that the devil is an accuser, a tempter, and a destabilizer of our walk with God. He's an accuser. So the devil's voice in your life, if you're wondering what it sounds like, oh, Max, you're a terrible pastor. You're a hypocrite. God could never use you. You're a sinner, blah, blah, blah. You know, all this stuff, some of which is tr partly true, right? But the devil accuses so that you stand condemned. And condemned people become paralyzed people, and they can't do anything. There is therefore now no what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Okay. So um, the devil is an accuser, a tempter. Uh, that's the garden, the picture right out of the garden, right? Did God really say, I mean, how do you, come on, God wants you to be happy, <laughs> right? 
And so God, this is the voice of the, the devil in our life. So don't play with fire. Last but not least, don't try to walk the Christian walk alone. Unless your name is, Je unless your name is Jesus Christ, an army of one is not enough. <laughs> Let me say that again. Unless your name is Jesus Christ, an army of one is not enough. You need a bigger army. <laughs> okay? To withstand the spiritual assault of the principalities and powers. So you need to be connected to an oikos, a church family. And you need to be in relationship with other believers. Maybe that's one of the classes or groups here at Generations. Maybe that's a Zoom meeting early in the morning before you go off to work with a brother or sister two or three times a week. Um, I don't know what it is, uh, but don't try to walk the Christian life alone. Uh, lastly, um, it's simply this. Putting on the armor of God is an all y'all thing. <laughs> Putting on the armor of God is a what kind of thing? All y'all. All y'all thing. That's right. All y'all. It's not just you by yourself early in the morning when you're half tired and you're like, I can't do this again. It's so hard and I'm struggling. It's an all y'all thing. All y'all. Put on the armor of God, okay? And so uh, as one, united in the spirit, we are redeemed, adopted, forgiven, and strengthened with power through God's spirit. All y'all. That's us. That's us. When I was a student at Wheaton College, by the time I was a senior, I got up at 4.30 in the morning, every morning to pray. It created all kinds of conflict with Jenny because Jenny wanted to go out on dates at 9.30, 10 o'clock. <laughs> and I would be like, I have to go to bed so that I can get up and pray. Conflict, conflict, right? And, and so I would get up and I would, I would pray for about an hour and a half. I would read my Bible for 45 minutes. I mean, I got the little pens that you can get for, you know, quiet time. And for the longest time, I thought, man, I am so spiritual because I'm getting up at 4.30 in the morning. Look at all these other Wheaton students and going to Snoozeville. They don't love the Lord. <laughs> Years later, it dawned on me that I was never doing that alone. And I always would forget an important piece of that equation. I got up at 4.30, but one of my housemates, Chris Dom, got up at 5.10. So when my alarm would go off in the morning, and Chris would join me and be with me from 5.10 to about 6, 6.15, 6.30 when we would make breakfast together. So when my alarm clock would go off at 4.30 in the morning, and the mornings that I was like, I don't want to do this. I'm just going to sleep in. I'm so tired. It's so dark. It's so cold. I don't want to do this. The second thought was, oh, crap, Chris is getting up at 5, you know, 510. <laughs> so more often than not, guess what happened? I got my butt out of the bed, and I prayed. It was an all y'all thing. I thought at the time it was a me thing. <laughs> Silly Max. <laughs> no, it was an all y'all thing, okay? We put on the armor of God together, okay? It's all y'all.